In this video, I've caught up with Frederick from the Cardano Foundation. We cover some stuff that is basically going to be made public with this video. Lots of really cool things going on and everything you need to be aware of surrounding Cardano. Let's get to it. Um, fantastic to have you back on the, the channel, uh, Frederick. Um, like I think we last caught up in September, uh, and we we covered a few things, including education and and a bit on the the roadmap. Um, but before we sort of dig into a lot of the questions, one thing that I do want to ask, because I did um, briefly see you in Dubai at the Cardano Summit. How did you find Dubai and the Cardano Summit? I think we should start there because I thought it was awesome. Yeah, me too. Um, no, I think it, it it worked really, really well. Um, of course, uh, when you put on an event like that, and don't forget Dubai was one out of 28 events, right? So mm -hmm. this was just a, sort of the main event. We did 27 events at the same time with the community around the world for the people who cannot travel or in other ways were not able to get to Dubai, right? Um, you always sort of sit a little bit on the edge, you know, you, you spend a year putting this together and you, you're in a bear market and you see people can't afford to travel and you're saying, hey, this should not just be Cardano, this should be an industry event and not just blockchain industry, it should really be about industry adoption, we, we want to have you know, like NGOs, like the World Trade Organization, we want to have Fortune 500 companies there. And and they ask, you know, why should I come to that event and not to the other layer one blockchain event? I mean, in Dubai, there is, a, you know, blockchain events every week. And when you then show up and you see it all comes together and you have, you know, representatives from United Nations, Humanitarian Crisis Organization, VTO, you have regulators there, you even have members of parliament who, who is not even on stage, they're there because they're so interested in what's happening with the governance and the public blockchain Cardano. They're in the crowd there, right? Uh, you, you, you know, you cannot just, you can just be very proud about what the Cardano community uh, actually can do. Uh, so I think the, the, the event went really, really well. And, uh, and I think a lot of people came over to me and said, this was not a normal um, layer one event. This was not a normal blockchain event. This was really a business event which really showcases, you know, uh, how the world of blockchain merges with the off-chain world in the future. And uh, I already heard that, you know, people went back to Dubai and incorporated and, and you know, built businesses. And, you know, we've been in close contact with the Dubai government also around certain use cases. And I, I, I think it worked a lot better than I was, you know, hoping for, even though I'm a very optimistic guy. And the other thing which I really liked compared to Lausanne last year in Switzerland, right, was... Um, Dubai is sort of the melting pot, right? So it represents two very interesting things. One is it sits sort of between three continents, so Europe, Africa, and Asia, which means you get a very diverse uh, participant range. So there were some people who were able to travel to Dubai, which couldn't re couldn't get a visa to get into Switzerland, right? Mm. Uh, so it was, you know, it was more inclusive in a weird way, which is not normally what you think about when when you sort of think about that area of of of, of the world. And the other thing which I thought was very interesting is that you are seeing some very large macroeconomic trends at the moment where you see some global insecurity on a macroeconomic scale around the positioning of the US, China, Russia, and so on. And there is a few small countries who's really stepping forward now and saying, you know what, we want to play on the global scale to create more security, more global trade, and have rails and communication open to everybody around the world to ensure that the world trade continues. And, and there, are, I think Dubai is one of those, uh, you know, countries uh, or nation states or nation city states who actually is, uh, you know, going ahead on that. And we also saw that on the opening of the Kidano Summit, uh, having Dr. Marvin there on the stage talking about how much blockchain actually is being used in the infrastructure uh, in Dubai. So I think uh, there was a lot of really good things coming together there. Um, for sure I, I really enjoyed it we actually set up our business uh over there like, in the process of moving it uh over to dubai as well i think um a lot of 
uh, crypto related blockchain companies are, are, are doing similar stuff. Uh, it definitely seems uh, the place to be. I think we managed to go to like two or three events each day that we were there, like much smaller events and, you know, the Cardano Summit and, and other layer one, um, you know, events. But yeah, there's just so much going on there. What was your biggest highlight uh, for, for the Cardano Summit? What stood out to you the, the most? Oh, there were so many highlights, but uh, when you ask me that question directly right now, I think uh, on day zero, which was the networking day, where we mm. also had the, uh, um, you know, the presentation, I think it was about 10, um, uh, 10 projects. Uh, and I was so happy to uh, to be one of the judges. And we had these, uh, t uh, you know, these uh, short pitches of where they were. And every single one of those 10 projects was absolutely mind-blowing. You were 100% sure there was a product to market fit. You saw that they were using not just sort of the traditional ideas about, you know, where blockchain sort of were coming from with Bitcoin and Ethereum, but you saw they were really embracing a much wider portfolio of adoption, right? And uh, some of them were even talking about implementing things and building businesses and what we only is going to have with Sanchez, which is the new, um, the new network stack. Uh, which is coming in hopefully into in the new year, right? Which we're testing right now, where there is elliptic curves, and um, so they were already, you know, looking at uh, zero knowledge proof and uh, and rollups, and and I think you know it just makes me so proud to see sort of the maturity of those ten projects because it sort of set the stage actually for where is the maturity on Cardano at the moment. Awesome, yeah, I I do agree. I think there was some amazing companies at the the, the Cardano summit. I think. Um, there's there's some real gems for for the future for sure and uh i love a lot of the use cases when it comes like to the real world you know like world mobile being there and and, and stuff like that um you know connecting the unconnected and i think that's uh it's really good and my camera just turned off there we go yeah. another one if you haven't seen it i want to do a shout out because i think it's so amazing right um, so again, this year, Fabian and and, and Thomas from the Kanana Foundation did a, a tech talk, uh, not a TED talk, but a technology talk. And you definitely have to catch that on YouTube. I mean, the, the, the way they explain the technology and where we are on the journey uh, with the Kanana Foundation, but also with the public infrastructure Kanana, it's just it's just mind blowing. Their way of articulating it so the average person actually understand the hardcore technology, technologies and engineering is it's just amazing and the you know and this sort of they have this spiel between themselves it's um yeah it's the second year they're doing it and i just i would pay i would pay money just to see that yeah oh, i have to definitely uh check that out um what's happened since we we last caught up so we caught up in i think it was september um what what has happened since then uh i guess from a cardano foundation point of view Oh, it's been really busy. <laughs> so uh, one of the things is I, I traveled to Brussels, right? Uh, where I gave a keynote speak uh, at the, the Blockchain for Europe Summit. Uh, and while I was there, I met with several members of parliament where we discussed, uh, you know, um, Mika 1, Mika 2. Uh, Mika 2 is, of course, the hot topic coming now in the implementation of Mika 1, right? But I also met with the uh, European Commission's Directorate for General Financial Stability, um, called DG Fisma for short, and I had the opportunity to show them our new RegTech tool, right? So the Cardano Explorer built from the Cardano Foundation, which has this workflow um, optionality in it where you can actually see how staking really works and you can see how governance works on Cardano. And we just, you know, um, so I was, I could sort of show that in real time to them and they had some really good observations on the. And I also had the ability to meet up with the European banking authorities and the European securities and market authorities to speak about that as well and, and, and present that. And I think um, it's really, it's an eye opener for many regulatory authorities that we've gone so far to build a RegTech tool to really show the transparency of the code and the incentives on the system. And just actually, um, that must be two days ago, we actually got sort of a, the first sort of really director of feedback from, from FINMA, where FINMA actually issued a new new uh, guidance and staking. Um, and you can really see that they paid attention because when they sort of warned that this new guidance was coming out five, six months ago, uh, for them, staking was staking. So sort of like how Ethereum has implemented it. But now they're really opening up the box for there is different variants of staking where some has slashing, some has lock-in, 
some has you know ownership change and so on and you can really see that paid attention to the work we've done in terms of uh, the rec tech tool but also in terms of talking to them about what is the differences and why do a blockchain actually need staking uh, because it's definitely not a financial product uh, it was not intended to be one even though some um, financial institutions use it as one right mm. um Besides that, you know, we've launched a set of Java libraries, uh, which is supporting the uh, the Explorer, right? But it also means that there is more for the people who who, who write in Java. So I think that's very positive. Uh, then Icon has matured quite dramatically, right? Which is the uh, the bootstrap version of, of smart contracts, uh, which has a very very good syntax and makes it very easy. We got uh, close contact with uh, quite a few Solidity developers on Ethereum, and they're actually saying that this is as easy as Solidity, even though we're still using EUTXO, which is quite superior, right? But it is more complicated. Um, so ICANN is really getting a lot of traction and you start really seeing some of the largest projects on Cardano um, um, basically starting to use that uh, in, instead of the native uh, Bluetooth. Uh, then we've launched uh, Ledger Sync, which is a, a new version or a complete different rework of, of Deeply Sync, right? So this is this ability to basically allow you to take a snapshot of the blockchain and do queries uh, across that and has a much faster synchronization time and a different enterprise build. So that's also quite astonishing actually because it allows you to do quite a lot of uh, different business models uh, or allow new business models and lowers the co total cost of ownership. Then we took over the address tier stack from IOG, <laughs> which is, um, as you probably know, is a DB sync. It's the backend wallet, which is used for, for mainly for exchanges and last uh, applications, right? Mm -hmm. It's a GraphQL and Rosetta. Um, so we took over that team to ensure that IoT could really focus on the, the newer versions of the Cardano blockchain. And we then focus more on this uh, middle layer um, infrastructure. So we incorporate that team, including the support of that. Uh, then we launched the uh, Cardano Academy, uh, as you know, last time we had the alpha and beta version out. So we have, I think, close to 1,800 people through that. We got really good feedback. So uh, the academy is now out. And that really gives free education to everybody around the world in English to start with. But the scripts are open, which means that, you know, if you're sitting somewhere in a, in a, in a non-English speaking country and you want to do a learning app or pay to learn or whatever you think really works wherever you are you can basically take this high quality education you can translate that you can use that as a content because it's under a, sort of an open source licensing agreement right and then you can build a business around that if you want to or you can put it into your university slides so you don't have to create your slides every single time and focus on your you know your research if you're a professor or you can just go in there and learn about third generation blockchains and what's really possible yeah so I think that's also quite amazing um, then we launched the new ver the new version of the Explorer. So we had two launches actually uh, since we spoke last time, <laughs> and the new version of the Explorer has a, a new framework for smart contracts. So I really urge you to check that out because there's something we heard from many regulators now that they, they're really struggling when a when a project presents to a regulator, it's very hard for them to verify whether the the slides of the presentation is also what the code is saying. And what we really try to do now is try to put some, you know, smart contracts into sort of different buckets, depending on the workflow they're doing to make it more transparent for the regulator uh, and, and basically enhance the chances for the projects to get a uh, fair and transparent treatment uh, wherever they are in the world and whatever regulator they go to. So I think that's also very interesting because it also starts changing the Explorer from being something around the business in general problem and double spending and, and those kind of aspects to really being a representation of what's happening on chain and the workflow and the business logic. So I think that's also really amazing, right? Yeah. We, uh, we launched think... new voting tools from the Kidano Foundation <laughs> since we yeah. spoke as well. I say it's a quite a long list if you really want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's, it's a really big list. And uh, yeah. I think there's some real monstrous developments there as well. Like they're not small feats by any stretch of the imagination. I think, you know, particularly education, I think that is just uh, something that, because there's different levels to it, right? Like there's different types of education, there's different levels of, you know, involvement that people have with with blockchain technology right so yeah i think that's uh that's a really big a big area of focus for for many different projects and and companies uh, in blockchain um you touched on uh, some of the stuff around exchanges um mm, yeah. one one of the things that i heard an awful lot uh about when we were in dubai was um 
people complaining about not being able to get their uh, Cardano native um, you know projects uh, on exchanges now. You know, perceptionally from where I'm sat, I see Cornucopius, uh, Copy getting listed on Gate.io. Mm-hmm. I see yeah. uh, various others. So, is this a, a myth that perhaps some of these projects are, you know, not being upfront about the the challenges there, or is there really some substance to it? I think there's substance to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a problem, and I think this is a very complicated problem. And for tackling that, you need to understand that there is different things going on at the same time at the moment. Mm. So what we see specifically on the U.S. side, uh, and again, I'm not a U.S. lawyer, I'm not a U.S. citizen, right? Uh, I'm just looking at it from afar, right? Mm-hmm. Is that you have a lot of regulatory uncertainty around, you know, the Howey test and around the Securities Commission and around uh, certain things. And that unfortunately spills over not just to the projects, but it spills over to the infrastructure because there's this discussions on staking as a service and and those kind of things. Um, on the same side, you know, if you go on, on on sort of the smaller jurisdictions, but more well-established jurisdictions like Switzerland, Singapore, and so on, what you've seen is that you've seen that it's, it's much clearer um, what goes and what doesn't go. Mm-hmm. But you also see that it, those jurisdictions don't hold that many exchanges anymore. You see a lot of people are sort of optimized and moved away from those jurisdictions so, and they've sort of you know incorporated other places where the insecurity is larger. So you do sit with sort of a situation where there is complexity in terms of you have the application landscape, you have the layer one infrastructure, and then you have this sort of perception that, that regulators are really changing the gate, uh, are charging after the, the gatekeepers or the exchanges, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's from the outside, it certainly looks like that, right? Yeah. And then the question, you know, then is, you know, uh, will I take, am I enhancing my liability if I take on a, uh, a token project or something like that? Mm-hmm. And how much is, what is the trade-off, you know, so how much liquidity is there? And if you are in the same time, I'm in a, you're in a bear market, right? Mm. And um, you see the liquidity is not very high and you see the regulatory risk is high, um, you know, many exchanges simply are saying no, no, it doesn't doesn't work, and that's why the the Cardano Foundation has really invested a lot in this RegTech tool because this actually allows you also to create some clarity around some of those projects, and this can actually be used to create sort of some comfort on a regulatory level when you sort of present your project, right? So it's not like it comes with an endorsement from the Cardano Foundation, but you now have a a way to verify some of the things which is happening on chain which the regulator might or might not ask you, depending on where you see yourself and, and what kind of projects you're doing. And we're hoping to continue moving in that direction of creating this transparency, and um, which will hopefully allow you to get a fair and faster treatment with the local regulator, but also on the other side, uh, create uh, education and understanding by the exchanges to understand the liability better of what they're being presented with. So, um, so I think there is definitely some some good news coming in that direction, but uh, I, I think you're, you're you're spot on. This is uh, this is hard at the moment, mm. um, and exchanges are being hunted uh, of, of different reasons, right? The other part is is sort of the perception, right? So we saw with FTX and others, which is really nothing to do with blockchain in my world, right? Mm. But uh, because they were not using a blockchain based you know, core banking system or infrastructure. They were not using all the tools we have to, you know, to verify and, and bring accountability into it. They're really just running a centralized book with crypto assets on it, right? Yeah. Um, and and that sort of, again, sort of questions uh, the, the risk willingness some of those exchanges might have to take a bet on a, on a small project, right? Or on a medium-sized project. So, so unfortunately, I think there's, I think you're spot on. I think this is also something we observed and and we will continue our journey on creating regulatory clarity, but also uh, creating tools and, and optimizing the integration opportunities, but also creating tools which brings it more transparent uh, when you interact with these exchanges. Um, awesome. Um, how do you think Cardano's technology and governance model aligns with, I guess, the decentralized nature of emerging trends right now? So I think decentralization is a trade-off and you have to be very much aware of that. Huh? So I think a couple of years ago, a lot of people were saying, you know, the more decentralized it is, the better it is. Um, now we're getting a lot of data points on this now uh, because we've seen some DAOs and we've seen some very decentralized projects who, who, who definitely did not create a better 
social system mm. than before just create a different one and some of them has been locked into some very very hard problems right i mean um so uh, but i do think that cadano is on the right track right because what we're really exploring through voltaire and through sip 1694 is this sort of this notion that we do need to take the best learnings from you know governance in the last 2000 years uh, in combination with uh, what this new technology gives us and I think specifically what we did out of the Kadana Foundation with the uh, stake pool operators uh, experimentation vote on the min pool fee and the K factor really was an eye opener for many people because what we did is we we sort of changed the voting process quite dramatically and said actually the this is an early start of a delegated representative and and really looking at saying okay it's the stake pool operator who has a public vote nearly like a politician right mm -hmm. is verifiable is using a digital identifier. And then the, uh, the constituency, the people who's delegated to that stake pool, they then have two weeks to sort of say, hey, I, I am in agreement with the view of my stake pool operator and I'm not in agreement, right? And if you, and that basically created that we had over 40% voter participation. When then look at what happened with the Cardano ballot, which is also uh, actually developed by the Cardano Foundation. And there was some discussion around why didn't we add hardware security module support uh, from the start? And I just want to make it absolutely clear uh there was some trade-off with doing that right but i actually voted for the foundation using um an hsm module right so it is fully possible to do so but does require that the user has a better understanding of how cardano works so we didn't create any kind of specific programming to, to allow us to do that from the foundation we just used how awesome cardano is from an architectural perspective, using something called mangled addresses, which is actually amazing. We can maybe speak about that today or in another podcast. Um, and there, what we saw was that the voter participation was not as high. And uh, you know, it, what I'm trying to say is that this journey we are having with these small incremental uh, improvements, where we're testing out real governance actions, whether that's on testnet or on real on-chain, as I just mentioned, that gives us the comfort to move forward testing the academic rigor of governance but also the appetite of our community towards voter participation towards public versus non-public votes towards you know do we want to have a quadratic voting systems do we want to have more like state-based voting systems is it wallet-based and so on so i think Cardano is really doing a lot of things right, not just because, you know, obviously I am biased. I work for the Cardano Foundation, right? But I think this, this idea that we are using the technology and we are testing the social system of the citizens of Cardano as we go along instead of just switching off and on, you know, a new voting age. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, this learning by doing and getting these data points and, and continuing the dialogue with our community around this, I think this is really alpha omega if you want to change the way governance is being expressed in something as large as Cardano, but also in the future as a nation state. And I think when you sort of start looking at what's happening on voting in general, it's quite clear that it's, it's nearly archaic or it's very sort of weird how some of these voting systems are set in place. But you also have to respect that there's a reason for that, right? There's a reason why voting is evolving very slow. And that's because you really want voting to be verified. You want to ensure that there's accountability. You want to ensure that, you know, that the questions are right, that there's no manipulation and so on. So, so the innovation within voting system on a, on a national level has been sort of fair, quite slow, if not existing at all, right? And it is because it's a hard problem to solve, right? The combination of you want to have high voter participation, you want to ask the questions in the right way, you want to have a supporting technology, and many countries don't even have identity, right? <laughs> if you don't have a national identity, so how do you even know that the person who's supposed to vote is the right person? We see in some of the world's largest countries, they're still sending, you know, voting codes or identification by mail, right? I mean, mm -hmm. imagine that. If you go by the post uh, box and, you know, you empty that in front of the guy, you can actually vote in his name or her name, right? I mean, this is insane, huh? Mm. So I think the, the you know, this uh, notion that the, the blockchain gives you the ability to bake in identity and change the way we actually look at these systems gives us also the opportunity to reframe the questions, but also to reframe how we want to decide on who's going to lead and who's going to take decisions and who's going to be accountable for those decisions going forward. And that's hopefully will bring us more closer together as humanity. It will never make us, we will never agree on every, everything, right? Mm -hmm. We are so different, right? 
but it allows us to align on things and move forward. And then you get more brain power, you get different leaders, different decisions. And I think that's will move us forward as a society. Yeah, you, you touched on, you know, some of the voting mechanisms and, and stuff like that, traditional ones. Um, obviously, you know, my my opinion uh, might not be everybody's opinion, but in the US, a bit of overreach with everything Donald Trump, seen Charles talk about it. I don't really want to get into the politics aspect of things, never a good idea. Um, but what role could Cardano or blockchain have when it comes to, to voting and uh, having that on chain, um, you know, around the world? I think there's in certain countries where I am, for instance, in Switzerland, we have not the highest voter participation, but we have something called direct democracy. That means we vote about everything. So every like eight, nine weeks, we actually vote, right? And obviously, when you vote that often, the voter participation goes down because, you know, it's, you know, even though it is, I live in a very small village, so we actually... Uh, if you don't vote by letter, you actually uh, you suit up and take your nice Sunday clothes on. And you walk down there, you interact with people, and everybody's very polite. But they also really appreciate to see that you're going there to vote. And I think we maybe sometimes lost that a little bit. You see, when people move to the large cities, they sort of become, you know, this is so big, I have no influence. Where people sort of on the countryside still, they have this belief that they live in a community where they can influence it. And I think we're seeing that more and more on blockchain. We see that you know people come together and form sub-communities on the blockchain, and we see that they become accountable towards their actions. And we see in DAOs and other things, we see people are experimenting with this voter participation and these range of questions. And I think what's sort of going to happen, hopefully going forward, is that we're going to upgrade the way voting is, is working, not just from a technology perspective, but from a social system perspective. And those changes are very hard because when you when you touch the the fabric of society, the constitution of society, wherever you are, right? It doesn't need to be the U.S. Constitution, but the constitution and, and the social norms and how we behave and interact with each other, right? This is dangerous, huh? Mm. I mean, this is this is hard, but I think there is a need to do so. I think when you sort of look at how we interact with each other uh, and how these things are going, is is not going towards the better. And we have a golden opportunity to really leapfrog that by having a, a Web3, you know, blockchain nation state called Cardano, and where we can test out some of those things and we can take the best learnings from there and we can put that into the voting systems of large corporates and small corporates and city states and nation states. And we will be able to prove that this is a large improvement to the systems we have today. Now, will that lead to ultimately better leaders i think so but what you should never forget is that we are all humans right and we we have emotions and we have knowledge and those sort of are intermixed specifically in the age of the internet where we cannot verify what is the truth and these large language models makes it a lot harder right so i think education is very important but also that we we have to realize there is a reason we have politicians politicians are not the the root for all evil politicians is actually the ones who sits down and take very complicated matters and are able to to tear that apart and explain that to the common person and represent the common person but we lost the ability to make the politician accountable and i think that's exactly what the blockchain can bring back this ability for liquid voting and the ability to make the politician accountable so when we vote on somebody and they don't do as they promised we can make them accountable towards that and we can change the, the trust level to that politician by direct action on the blockchain. And we have to be careful again here because, again, that's a trade-off, right? Because, you know, certain things take time. You cannot just expect a person gets into a complicated role and he will change everything in day one, right? But on the other hand, you can also not live in a society where you vote on somebody and they do completely the opposite. And you say, well, hold on, I had a contract with that person, right? I had a voting contract. He, he said, oh, she said they wanted to do this and they're not doing it. So I don't want to be caught up in an escrow contract here right where we, I, I voted on that person and then i have four years of, of of mania or destruction right where where um where there was not the intent from my side right and i think this is what blockchain really gives us it lowers the cost of operating those systems make brings more transparency and accountability into it which has always been one of the slogans for blockchain but now we can see it and we can test it with real decisions, real people, real businesses on the nation state of Cardano. 
And I think this is a this is a game changing moment. Now, how fast these nation states and others will adopt that, uh, I, I fear that's going to be a slow journey. Uh, people don't want to relinquish power when they got it, you know. And <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, if, if you're not held is... accountable now, right? Like, what makes you want to be held accountable in the future? I mean, those are the challenges, right? Exactly right, but but that I think you know as Cardano grows and as Cardano learns and as Cardano becomes more um, mission critical, right? Uh, there will be professional politicians on Cardano, and I would not be surprised if we see some of those politicians spill over into local politics, and take the learnings from Cardano in there, as we today already see that professional politicians are now part of the civics committee and are part of you know, the constitutional part and, and is really interacting with Cardano because they, they not only do they believe in Cardano, but they also think about this as a as the next generation of, of, of governance tools, right? And they want to be a part of understanding what does that really mean? So I think this spillover effect hopefully will be much larger than what we see today, whereas a few data points, we will see that, you know, be, you know, magnitudes larger than what we have today uh, and span much more jurisdictions. So I have I have high hopes for this, but this this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. Yeah, I think um, and and correct me if you think that I'd be wrong in in making this statement. We should probably expect things not to be like you know plain sailing and mistakes to potentially be made. Right, you're going into the unknown, right? You know, I don't want to say that others has not tried to do what we're doing, right? Mm. But the way I look at it is that this is the first time since the ancient Greeks invented democracy that somebody actually has a good reason to change the stakes. And that's because we have now a mature technology called third generation blockchain. And we have the ability to have academics and others to verify what we see on chain is actually also what happens in society. And there is a larger need than ever um, of actually changing status quo, right? So we have sort of a little bit the perfect storm coming together now. So we are actually sort of, this has not really been done in, in many thousand years, right? And we are now, we now finally have the ability to to change status quo. And, and I think, honestly speaking, we should take it. But it does require that some people start changing their mind, right? Mm -hmm. So the people who uh, who says, you know, I'm just buying some ADA and then I'm also participating. And I'll be like, yeah, but did you vote? Did you go to a provider who allowed you to vote? Uh, and then the counter argument as before, yeah, but I have it on a ledger or tracer device. Why couldn't I vote for it? And I'm like, well, you could actually do that, but it requires that you then take maybe the educational module from the Kadana Foundation and become a little bit more, you know, involved in that, right? Or, mm -hmm. you know, did you have you ever in, in, interacted with Catalyst, right? I mean, yeah, I think you know this sort of this idea that just because you 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 hold cryptocurrency that you're then engaging, uh, well, that doesn't hold true. If, if you really look at governance and how governance is going to be expressed in social systems. Now, that doesn't make you a secondary citizen. It just means that you need to have a delegated representative or somebody representing your view. So at least you can say, okay, if I don't have a view, at least I trust that entity or that person and they can express my view until I'm dissatisfied with them. And I have now a way going forward where I can express this dissatisfaction with concrete action, right? Mm -hmm. um, but if you're just sort of like, holding your assets in a custodial wallet, which sort of hinders you from, you know, doing a smart contract, doing voting, doing staking. Well, I, I think you're missing out on a large opportunity for the human race. For sure. Um, last time we caught up, we uh, touched on education, community engagement. With the push on governance for Cardano, what are the plans to support the community that, you know, we're looking to to do the voting aspect of things. Um, the, how do you give them the tools to be empowered to to do that well? Because my my experience, I've I've worked as a governor on a on a DAO on another cha uh, chain. Um, I've recently experienced um, Polkadot um, from a content creation perspective, marketing perspective. Um, have like a governance approach on on their ecosystem which really has in my opinion become more of a popularity contest rather than perhaps a um you know the best value that you're going to get for your your dot for example uh, when it comes to to the output of the marketing um what what around that what thoughts around that have you know uh cardano looked to to perhaps mitigate some of that yeah, I think 
to be very honest, right? We don't have a solution yet. We need to work together with the community and important stakeholders to create the the right tooling and the right education and the right acknowledgement that this is important. And it is also important to participate, even though um, you might not have a fully fledged view on it, right? Uh, because it forces you to to think about, you know, how much time do I want to invest in getting a view? And mm -hmm. is there an option if I don't have, if I don't want to do that trade-off? And I think what you saw we did with the stake pool operators vote and the update to the code to the CLI, so you could actually vote as a stake pool operator. You know, some people say you know the mistakes in how we formulated the questions, but I would say the learnings in how to formulate the questions, rolling all the way through to where we are today, right? With you know voting on catalyst, voting on chain, voting with the Cardano ballot, voting for projects at the Cardano summit, right? Um, I think. Uh, the one thing we cannot do is um, and, and should not do is in my world, we, you know, manipulation of voters is, is really hard. Right. And I think mm -hmm. in the U S this campaigning is probably more acceptable than what we see in Europe. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, the Cardano foundation will definitely start uh, being a little bit more vocal in what we think optimal looks like, but where we won't go is we don't want to go and select winners. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so when you sort of look at the protocol parameter committee and some of those things, we can actually break Cardano. We're going to be much more vocal and much more sort of, you know, um, have a voice out there and say, you know, this is what we believe is is the right levels, right? Yeah. And if you go to sort of selecting a project better than a B project, we, we, we're going to, to still kind of disrain from that. Um, we are not the right ones to educate on on governance right but we can do is we can educate on tools and we're definitely looking at uh, getting some of that into our educational um program our academy as we move ahead uh, but as the tools are not finalized yet and as the tools are still sort of in an experimental phase and you um it, it's the wrong time to start doing that so my my say is always you know why don't you start experiment with it and you start ensuring that you can vote why don't you start engaging with our community team at the Kadam forum because in there is not only the community team, but there's so many splendid ambassadors and others who, who it was just amazing, right? I mean, you are one of them, right? You're 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 answering people's questions yeah. in there, you're you're giving your unbiased view on where you think things are, right? But this interaction is a is a trade-off. It costs you time, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, but it also is because you care. And I think we just have to be very realistic and say not everybody cares, and that's okay. But the one who cares are the ones who sits and, and sacrifices the hours. And we want to be more available to them to also explain things. And that's why we're growing the community team and we're growing our resources also in the developer portal around those things. And what you'll see in the new year, uh, Cardano.org is going to get a revamp where there's going to be more education and clarification on governance. And not just the, the current state, but also the past state. You saw we wrote up this governance report for the last 12 months, which we made public, right? And we're going to write a new one to get the timeline straight so people remember those data points, people remember the decisions. And we're going to have more of these workshops coming into the new year where people can mm -hmm. come together and, and talk about governance and talk about these changes, both from a social system perspective, but also from a technology perspective. So definitely a lot of things happening, but um, I wouldn't say we found the key to, to all the solutions yet. Uh, yeah. That is definitely a collaborative work, huh? Yeah, it's definitely a big challenge. I kind of look at governance on other blockchains and kind of feel like the vast majority of them have failed because a lot of the people that, you know, are heavily involved are the ones that are making all of the decisions. And anybody new coming in, even if they do care, um, they, they're not able to actually make a, an influence mm. on on the decisions. And I think that's very challenging if you're trying to get, you know, the adoption, the vote up um like you would see you know where uh, with the campaigning and stuff in in the us you know if you don't campaign you're not going to get a vote right and um if the vote has come and it's not a great experience or they're unable to um make a you know a difference i guess with their their votes then it's really difficult to to keep them motivated to, to keep voting i think those are the the real big challenges from my perspective you know being involved in you know governance on some other chains and where i kind of see the the fail failings um again like some of these things become popularity contests and you know it becomes very challenging for anybody uh to to influence it for sure. And there will be a part of that, right? I mean, let's be very honest about it. This is mm. 
this is not for everybody, right? Um, but but I do think that when you sort of look overarchingly at Cardano, which is sort of my primary job, right? I think we're getting a lot more right than wrong, but we will do mistakes and we will learn from those mistakes. And as long as we can be responsible about it and say, if we do a mistake, it won't break Cardano. Um, and we can bring those learnings into the next part. I think a part of what the Cardano Foundation definitely is going to do is going to document some of those learnings to ensure that the newcomers who comes into the ecosystem, they actually have a um, an activity log of our learnings, right? Because sometimes you come into an ecosystem, you have some ideas and you're like, you probably haven't tried that. And everybody's saying, oh, we tried that before, right? So I think there's sort of also this documentation of the past is actually very important. And a part of that, of course, happens on chain and a part of that is off chain and off chain, you need to be able to verify those repos or libraries, right? And uh, and, and we're definitely moving with full speed ahead on doing that. Yeah, one thing I would say is that it's very different to the experiences that I've uh, had when it comes to the other blockchains. There isn't like this, you know, place where you can kind of find out how to make your votes and, you know, that educational aspect of things. I'm excited to to see how the the governance, um, you know, operates on, on the Cardano ecosystem. Really looking forward to sort of getting involved and um yeah you know, I, I hope that it's going to be a success and I, I am hopeful because i think that the approach is already different to what i've seen elsewhere so yeah i'm excited about it um what are your thoughts on i guess sustainability a long term uh i guess viability of cardano as a blockchain you know against industry measures mm, yeah oh i love the way you frame that question so in the Cardano foundation we actually have a 10-year strategy and um, that's very rare, actually, for a blockchain foundation to have that, <laughs> specifically in such a new market and so on. And we're sort of around year three into the strategy now. Mm-hmm. We've done a few iterations, but not many. Um, so that goes really well. And then every year we sort of uh, we define a tactical implementation plan. That's actually sort of what you see in the back here. It's actually a, a part of our tactical implementation plan. And um, and that has to be aligned with the strategy. And one of the things we have in the strategy is a wordplay called blockchain for good. And blockchain for good has two meanings. Um, Good means that we've chosen the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals to define what good is because we are a public permissionless blockchain, right? So we don't want to police the blockchain. We want to allow everybody to participate wherever you are, what religion you have, whatever education you have. But it also makes it quite hard because, you know, some people have dramatically different views on what is correct and not correct than us. So we're taking an external framework on that. And then we have the other part, which is called blockchain for good as well, which means that it has to have escape velocity, which is actually addressing your question directly. And what we see there is that um, currently, uh, even though we have on certain days much more transaction activity than um, than, uh, than uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum on certain days, right? Uh, this is still not sufficient to cover the incentives on Cardano, for instance, for stake pool operators, rewards, and so on. So we're currently around somewhere between 8 and 11% of coverage. The rest is being covered by what's called the reserves. And uh, as Cardano has a finite amount of resource, resources in the reserves, there's actually sort of an expiry date. So at that date, we need to have escape velocity. So the easy way of explaining that is that you see the green box here behind me, which is a part of this 10-year strategy. That's currently, if that's 10%, that actually needs to be 10 times bigger, right? Now, if you have some external factors threatening that, for instance, uh, securities law or certain use cases in finance, you, you want to have diversity around that. So one of the things we're really looking at with Cardano is we're looking at the diversity of the transaction landscape. It's not sufficient that you just have 10 times more transactions. You want to have a really solid diversity. And we're, one of the places we track that is on the Cardano Explorer, the RegTech tool I was speaking about before. Mm-hmm. So what we're really looking at is not just you know, 10 times more transaction. We're looking at, okay, this transaction has to look and feel different. And I think a lot of people don't really see that or appreciate that as much as I do. And that's why your question is amazing because what we see is actually over 50% of all transactions done on Cardano is not a traditional, I send money from A to B or I buy an asset and I hodl it, is actually people using metadata. So they're putting the identity of the transaction in there, whether that's the travel rule or whether that's, you know, uh, settlement and reconciliation information or whether that is uh, picture data for an NFT, it doesn't really matter, but they're using metadata and they're willing to do a trade-off, meaning that transaction will cost a little bit more because you take up more space on the blockchain, right? And more and more people are also willing to do smart contracts on native assets, 
right? A native access is dramatically different than the ESE uh, standard you see on Ethereum. And the fact that we can see that and, and see the diversification is, is amazing. On top of that, what we've done with uh, probably hasn't been spoken about, so maybe this is the first time people hear that, right? Is on ICON, we actually, after the 12th iteration of ICON, we put in a little data tracker. And that little data tracker actually allows us to see whether ICON has been used. And we're now starting to sort of build some reporting up around so you can actually see, not just because when you have EUTXO, you only see the output, right? You don't see how the input is compiled necessarily at least not when you have more advanced transactions. So we're starting slowly but surely to see if we can add those kind of small trackers to get a better understanding of how and which tools has been used, but also the deployment criteria which has been done. Because what's of course really interesting is if you can get to a situation that you have you know, you know, different tooling, but you have also different industries and you have different ways of expressing business value on chain, then I think you have a very healthy blockchain and you have true escape velocity. Uh, the positive notice of this is that we do see an exponential trend towards the positive. Um, and we do see that, you know, we see more and more adoption. So we're definitely on the right journey. And, uh, and I think we will get there uh, before the reserves uh, are running out. I'm pretty, very positive about it, but it does require that we have people like Imurgo, DC Spark, IOG, Cardano Foundation, uh, Five Binaries, and a lot of other of these companies to really be trailblazing and going forward uh, on exploring these new um, things. Huh? Yeah, um, it sounds sounds really positive, really exciting stuff. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm more of a long term, you know, kind of view horizon kind of guy, and uh, like our community. Uh, I think very, uh, very similar in that respect. So it's really interesting to see that, you know, more long-term kind of vision. Um, I, I obviously mentioned earlier uh, off, off camera that I've recently been debanked, uh, you know, in the last couple of days here in the UK by Santander. Um, what are your thoughts on the role in regards to Cardano, blockchain around, you know, banking um perhaps banking the unbanked and and so on as i find myself as we speak i mean that's that's sort of a little bit my genesis story right so mm -hmm. i came into fintech because i wanted to democratize access to capital market and i found myself in a situation where i could not get access to the financial products which i wanted to get access to and i asked the the opposite question i said you know why can somebody have access and others cannot and who decides that Right. And the answer to that is, is really horrifying. It is very, very horrifying. Right. Because the answer to that is that it's very, very few people, individuals, and is not always anchored in regulation who has the power to freeze your assets, to freeze your account, to deny your access. Right. And to basically mess with your life. Mm. And you know, when, when blockchain then came around and we had sort of the freedom to diversify, not just sort of thinking about having a bare asset as cash under our pillow, right? But having the ability to interact globally um, by using a digital asset, uh, you know, I was like straight away thinking there is something here, something we need to explore. And uh, I, like you, also been uh, been debanked. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, you know, you, you're you really shocked because you, you you kind of take it as granted that you can have a salary account and that you, you know, you 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 think that you own your own assets with with the bank, mm -hmm. but when you suddenly are being frozen or, or, or denied access or and you cannot even get an explanation on that, um, it's an epiphany moment, right? And um, we have to be sort of a little bit careful on where we stand on that access, right? Because most people who experience that um, has actually not done anything to deserve it. Mm. Uh, but the the question goes a little bit back to identity and not just identity of you, but also the, you know, your transaction identity, right? And uh, the fact of the matter is that today we do not have the tools where we can prove to a bank that we are okay. Mm. The tools to prove that we are okay are owned by the bank who suddenly are debanking us, right? And that basically creates this whole idea about, you know, why is it that we don't own our own identity? Why is it that we don't own access and control to our own assets? And the answer from the banks are uh, very frequently, yeah, it was due to the FATF, it's due to compliance standards and so on. But I, I think that 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 answer will hold true before blockchain and crypto. Because before blockchain and crypto, this was very hard. And there was this sort of still exists, 
something called shadow banking. But if you look into it, shadow banking is several magnitudes larger than blockchain and crypto banking is. Hmm. So we need to start we need to start challenging those things and we need to ensure that if somebody changes the game by basically taking control over our assets, our identity, that we need tools to to prove or uh, and to take control of our own identity. And that's hard because this has traditionally been one of those tools which nation states and, and centralized actors has been used to keep us in check, right? Mm. Uh, but now for the first time, we have those tools. And that's also why I'm so proud to say that the Kidano Foundation has uh, launched the uh, identity wallet, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw that, right? But it's an open source identity wallet, which is following the carry standards and other standards around identity and allows you first and foremost to manage machine identities. But the, the full goal here is, of course, also an implementation with a teller prison and other tools, which will allow you to start managing, you know, multiple facets of your identity. And hopefully in the future, but this is, a, again, this is a long-term plan, right? Mm. Um, that That you have tooling and um, verified credentials to go back when something like that happens and challenge the authority, right? Challenge that centralized authority who's taking that decision because you then now suddenly will start being able to have those data points. And hopefully, as you, I don't know how much you're into banking, but there's something who came into effect um, a couple of years back called open banking in the European Union, mm -hmm. which actually forces the banks to uh, make APIs available uh, for us so they cannot yeah. just safeguard that data anymore and you can then hopefully i see a very good business on cardano using the identity wallet using open banking to basically start harvesting your own data from these banks and maintaining that in your identity wallet uh, and then hopefully you will never be you don't need to use it right but if you get into that situation you can then turn that upside down and go there and knock on the door and say hey this is unacceptable at least you can release my assets huh um, but you will also be able to show to a new bank that you're actually okay. Because, you know, what actually happens very often is that if you're on bank from one bank, it's sort of a spillover effect. And people are like, oh, I don't want to touch that person or there's not enough money in that for me. And then suddenly you find yourself uh, having problems with other banking providers because they simply don't want to take the risk. And that's because you cannot prove that you're an okay guy. Right? Yeah. And this open... Um, open wallet standard, identity wallet standard, uh, which we launched is one of those tools we believe is needed for you to be able to do that in the future and push back on decentralized access. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely uh, knocked me sideways because you just don't expect it. I think uh, you, you touched on, you know, it can happen. Um, you're not necessarily having to, to do something wrong. It can just happen to you, right? And um, I guess that's kind of where I'm sat because normally like when i've read these sorts of things i've kind of always thought they must have done something illegal or and that you know they, they've done something bad but that really isn't the case like it can just happen to to somebody so this obviously is you know uh all to do with crypto investing um but yeah it's it's shocking we've got a video on the channel just you know talking through it if anybody does want to watch it um and also uh, a video on uh, more crypto friendly banks here in the UK if anybody wants to check that out I, I think it spans even wider I mean I told you before we started right I mean for me I, I you know it, it's happened to me as well right mm. and the only thing I did was to work for a Swiss regulated institution called the Cardano Foundation which is supervised by a supervisory body, right? Mm -hmm. We have a yearly audit, right? So we have a financial audit, which we send to the supervisory authorities, right? Um, you know, we're doing everything we can by the book in Switzerland and the Swiss bank accepted me. And then in the last second, when I was liable towards the payment, they rejected me straight up and said, you have to deal with it. And you know what? If you want to take us to court, you can do that. They just didn't care, right? Yeah. And so I, I really think, you know, what people have to be aware of is you do not need to do anything bad to end up in that situation, right? And on one hand, people are saying, oh, we are innovative, we do blockchain, we do crypto. And on the other hand, they just, you know, they cut the, the population of their clients really, really harsh because, you know, they simply don't have 
the ability to sort their data. They don't have the ability to verify the data they're dealing with. Mm. And then they take these harsh decisions, right? But if they would actually build their infrastructure using Cardano, using metadata, using yeah. verified credential, you know, identity wallets and so on, they would have much more data points and they would have much better reach. They will be able to treat you properly and give you awesome banking services to lower the cost of compliance, lower the cost of operations, and they will earn more money on a client like you and they can take many more of them, right? Yeah. So uh, it's just a question of why don't they, right? And that's yeah. a part of education as well. I mean, yeah. they're so scared of, of, of upgrading their systems to what we think about as the status quo today, because that also means, you know, changing teams, changing jobs, changing, you know, what do you do for your eight hours a day, right? And this is a, this is a, you know, this is a social component. This is not technical anymore. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a journey, right? Like, um, I'm fortunate enough that I can be debanked and, you know, I can pay off my mortgage full and, you know, any issues with, you know, other accounts that I've got, but many people can't do that. And, um, you know, I've kind of always been very focused on telling people, you know, don't leave your crypto on exchanges and and that side of things. And I think this has really opened my eyes to be uh, more, I guess, forward thinking about um, my fiat transactions <laughs> moving forward, um, you know, and how much money I keep in in banks and and so on, just for for this very reason. But it's it's definitely an interesting subject matter and uh, one that I find companies here in the UK aren't really okay like particularly blockchain companies they're not really prepared to really stand up and and talk about some of the issues here in the uk feel um they're perhaps concerned about being able to get licenses to operate here and stuff like that and i think that's a really sad position to to be in and uh i don't think it really supports us get to to that end goal of where we should be in in the future if that makes sense with all the mm -hmm. things that you're talking about because i think it'd be a far better customer journey you know, from, from both, like both sides, the business is going to be able to operate, you know, uh, more sustainably and, you know, your customers are going to have a way better experience. I'm looking forward to them adopting, you know, blockchain into the banking sector. I actually have been so fortunate to be invited to the UKFCA several times, including also answering some of the public consultations uh, around this. And I I have to say, you know, it, I, I don't think it's the FCA who's, who's talking here. I mm. mean, they were asking us brilliant questions. We showed them the Explorer. We worked with them on business continuity, disaster recovery, network monitoring. We were speaking about front running. We were speaking about market manipulation, the differences between account-based models and UTXO-based models and why you can actually not do front running on a proper UTXO-based model and how that actually changes the way you run an exchange. And we got really good questions and they really understood the answers uh, from mm -hmm. us. So I, I do think that there is, but but this is sort of quite common, right? But there is a there's a there's a gap between where potentially the, the regulator sees things and then legacy systems and maintaining a minimum viable compliance with a bank. And this sort of this scarecrow moment where you actually realize that you don't want to re you know, you don't want to risk the banking license based on one mm -hmm. client. But actually what you are doing is you are taking a short-term choice and actually risking the business model uh, based on not upgrading your technology understanding and your technology infrastructure and actually you know, exploring how wide you can go to manage happy clients and to help them in their daily operations of, of capital markets and you know, just being banked. You know? yeah. Banking is a part of leveraging your business, is a part of you know, they, 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 sort of, they are an intermediary we actually do want to have because we are specialists in something else. We need access to payments. We need access to 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 you know short term uh, financing and other things to drive our businesses. And uh, I think it's it's really sad to see uh, you know banks really you know taking the wrong. I don't know in your case, but very mm. often what I see is they're taking the wrong choice and optimizing on these short terms what they think compliance is because they're sitting with these legacy systems instead of taking a long X approach on it and say, you know, how do we ensure that the, the GDP or the economy or the community actually grows with the support of us being a bank and what does banking and money actually means in society. And it's very rare that I see that uh, happening, unfortunately, mm -hmm. but I think the, the UK FCA is actually more open than you think 
to that journey. And you also saw that with the original sandbox initiatives and so on. Uh, so so I, I think there's a really a big gap uh, there yeah. which, which needs to be closed. And hopefully a, a digital bank or a fintech bank in the future will uh, will do that. Um, definitely. I, I really do agree. I, I definitely see the gap there. And um, I just think it's part of the journey. We'll get there eventually. But in the meantime, people just need to to really think about you know their approach to to how they uh they operate with uh, crypto and banks at the moment uh particularly here in the UK um yeah. but have you got anything else and just conscious of time um that you would really would like to to share with the community i think we've got some some really good information i think it's been a fantastic uh interview but you know i always like to search to see if there's any anything that perhaps you know, you, you want to share with us that perhaps, you know, is new or uh, you're really passionate about that you're excited about when it comes to everything you're doing at Cardano right now. And then we can catch up and see how, how things progressed uh, later on. Yeah, maybe two things I'm really passionate about and, and we haven't touched so much about. One is the open source journey, right? <laughs> True open source, not just public code. And and what you probably saw, uh, if you're checking very with the, with the comb on what's happening on Cardano, you saw that the, the the node repos, so the core repos, has been transferred from IOG into Intersect, and uh, this, is, of course, you know, is, is, a, is a frightening moment, right, when you do that. But I, I do think that this is uh, an amazing step towards true open source and towards participatory contribution, not just governance, but contribution that people who is looking at, at deploying on Cardano is starting to have better optionality to contribute to the code base. And I think that has been really accelerated with the success we saw on Hydra, which is these isomorphic state channels, but also specifically on the Icon team. So a big shout out to the Icon team and uh, for actually, you know, front running open source on Cardano and, and, and showing how that can be done. Uh, the other thing which I'm really passionate about is business continuity. You know, this notion that there went over a thousand companies share the same distributed decentralized infrastructure you of course has you know what happens when you when you're changing the code as you are running on it right so this mm -hmm. ability to have a very strong hard fork combinator and to have over 2000 days business continuity with no downtime at all right this is unprecedented with the amount of change we've seen in the code base for any kind of centralized architecture to do that so the fact that you can have this decentralized and have a better track record is just mind-blowing when you're coming from sort of the boring world of, of architecture and enterprise banking, right? Yeah. Um, and I think here, maybe one use case we haven't been speaking a lot about, which uh, maybe I can give you maybe some curiosity about was, we actually, we are, we are now have the ability to monitor the, the, the network, which as you know, is more than 3,000 stake pool operators. Mm -hmm. And uh, by monitoring that and the health of that, we identified that the, some of what's called the block propagation was not happening uh, in a desirable fashion. And we were actually able to identify two clusters of pools who were the reason why we saw a sort of a decay. And when you say decay is still working extremely well, right? but we saw there was a slight decay in how things was running. Our, our infrastructure team and our community team then identified these clusters, right? Which happened to be two exchanges. They then worked with these exchanges and they found a win-win situation where the exchanges could optimize how they run these pools. Uh, and that means that they got more rewards. But then at the same time, we saw that the, let's say the, the efficiency of the networking stack again increased on Cardano. Mm -hmm. So I think this is sort of the beauty of this decentralization, right? That you now have the ability for community participants to interact with each other around data and facts, work together to find a win-win situation, right? And then create a better public infrastructure uh, for the citizens of Cardano. So I think this was, you know, uh, really amazing to see how that, uh, you know, how that came from being a vision of us building a, a team of site reliability engineers, build health and monitoring tools, use these health and monitoring tools to increase, um, you know, the, the resilience of the networking stack. So I think some of those stories, uh, I know these might not sell many clicks, but it's just amazing, right? How, yeah. how this this actually all kind of comes together. And what we are hoping to do in 2024 is to expose some of this network monitoring and some of these metrics on our Cardano Explorer and through some APIs that it's not just us who is able to, to take, uh, you know, uses of this, but that the community can do that uh, at large as well instead of just selected stake pool operators. And again, this is again, you know, on this journey of decentralization and allowing the stake pool operators 
to be, um, you know, to, to step up to the task of being fully independently running Cardano as they already do today. But running it also means to be able to, to uh, you know, identify problems who comes ahead and, and having the tools to, to act upon them, right? And I think this is, this is I have not really seen that on any other blockchains. Uh, and I hope other blockchains will take this uh, and, and, and use that as well so we get more reliable decentralized infrastructures out there so there's a better choice out there for whatever industry use case you have. Yeah, I think that's, that is really unique. I haven't seen it on, on any other blockchains and we look at a lot of different blockchains. So yeah, yeah. Um, super exciting stuff. And um, I know you're really busy and uh, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to spend it with myself and our, and our community. And um, yeah, I'm sure they're going to really appreciate, um, you know, the, the interview and the time that you spent with us. Uh, and we definitely have to catch up in the future because uh, I love these these updates. I think this is the second one we've done now. And I think they're very valuable for our community. I really do appreciate it. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next time we speak. And if, if you want, you can easily do a small poll with your community and say if there's some questions they really want uh, you to ask or something like that. Uh, so you really can take also the brain power of your community, right? And bring that to the table because some of them are, you know, super subject matter experts. And as you mentioned earlier, Polkadot or Algorand, and they've seen different things. And now they've seen this into you and they say, hey, what? how does that relate or how does that mm -hmm. anchor into that, right? And, 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 you know, I'm sure we can, you know, get a fantastic discussion going around some of those themes as well, right? So if you want to, you know, instead of waiting six months and we want to do it a little bit earlier, let's do that, right? Uh, let's get some more information, transparency out there. I think that's good for everybody out there, wherever you are on the blockchain journey. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I think it would be really good if there is anybody out there that's, you know, following some of these other blockchains and, you know, wants to to ask questions, definitely get involved. Like um, that is an approach that we're very aligned on uh, for sure. So again, I think it benefits everybody. Um, so yeah, appreciate that. And uh, we'll catch up soon. Awesome. Thank you very awesome. much. So another fantastic interview with Frederick from the Cardano Foundation. Really appreciate him taking the time out of his busy schedule to spend it with us and uh, cover all that really juicy Cardano content that everybody's been looking for. If you enjoyed today's video, mash up that like button, subscribe if you haven't subscribed already, tapping that bell, selecting all the notifications so you never miss a video. And I will catch you in the next one. Take care.